Thank him for making a way in your life. He's the great way maker. Hallelujah. Thank him for making a way. Mm. You remember when he made a way for you? Oh, man. He didn't just do it once for us. He does it over and over again. Because he never gives up on you. Never gives up on me. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank God he is the way maker. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Once again, it's so good to be here today. And uh, it is so good to have Brother Neff and Sister Neff here today. Let's give them a round of applause. Appreciate this man. Amen. Brother Neff, we love you. One thing I know is you're the real deal, sir. I believe it. You are the real deal. What a wonderful Christian, wonderful man of God. And we're so glad that you're here today. Please come and minister. God bless you. precious time to be here with all of you today and thank God for his mercy and goodness to each and every one of us and the privilege but uh, as I listened to the songs today and I thank God coincided uh, just confirmation just things that God orchestrates and he does it so well he does it so well and I thank God for that and just counted a tremendous privilege to be here with you today. Just out of curiosity here today, do we have any veterans here today from any of the wars in there? We've got just one. Amen. Appreciate that. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Amen. Appreciate that. Also, I would like to know, I know that uh, having uh, the other day, being here for the anniversary services that was a fascinating thing and appreciated the opportunity to be here so i know there was at least two other two other churches uh, church buildings you were in before this one so i'm just kind of curious who here's been was in the first building anybody here that's still in the first building how about the second building and now we're here. That's great. That's great. And that's an awesome thing. And uh, so I, I want to just look into the Word of God here today. So appreciate Sister Mayo and the choir. I tell you, it's just superb. It's just a precious thing and a blessing to the work of God. Amen. Today I'm going to go to Judges chapter 3 and verse 1. Judges chapter 3 and verse 1. And then with the help of the Lord just let his word unfold to us. I believe that God has orchestrated something here today and uh, to see it move forward again. Amen. He's a good God. Judges chapter 3 and verse 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them. Even as many of, of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generation of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. 
namely the five lords of the Philistines and of the Canaanites and of the Sidonians and the Hivites that dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon unto the entering in of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken to the commandments of the Lord which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So there's been a generation there's been some folks that have fought some battles but there's some others coming up that have got to learn what it means to fight some battles it's got to come it's something that's going to be part of the rite of passage something that's going to be part of what is going to be the hallmark of the next generation and with the help of the Lord I want to be able to just let the word of God touch our hearts here today as we begin to look at our place, where we're at, as we move forward in God. God's got great opportunity. He's got things in place. I thank God you celebrated 25 years, but we're looking forward to the next. There's got to be somebody that's got to raise up, that's going to be ready, that's got to pick up where it's left behind and move forward into the next generation. Amen. Let's just pray together right now. Jesus, we just call upon you here today, knowing that you are an awesome God. Hallelujah. It's your church. It's your kingdom. It's your might. It's your power. Lord, we're looking unto you here today. Lord, that you would just open our hearts and minds, Lord, by anointing today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so... The writer of Judges began to let them know that there'd been some nations left behind. Now, what he was talking about there is that the former generation there that had come into the promised land under Joshua had had tremendous success. God had given them victory over the enemies and had given them the promised land. And they had succeeded in dividing it up and receiving the inheritance that belonged to them. And uh, we like the story of Caleb, and he says, give me my mountain, and he's ready to go. And there was a tremendous generation that, that conquered and seen great victory as they came into the promised land. But there was a time now where they had gotten a little bit slack. Things had come to a place where they were enjoying the, the blessings of the promised land. They were eating of trees that they had not planted. They were eating of the vineyard, drinking of the vineyards that they had not planted, drinking of the wells. And, you know, it, it was a tremendous opportunity, and it was a blessing, and all of those things were wonderful and great. But there was a place where God said that he had left some nations there to prove them. There was two aspects that were there. One was to teach them war, and one was to prove them. And it was a two-pronged approach that he had established it there. There's just something about it that when you're, when you're growing up, and, and I'm talking about boys here for a minute, but it, it can, in, in no doubt, girls got involved. My sisters always, you know, that just was part of it. But, but typically with boys... Every time they pick up a stick, it's a weapon. 
I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. It's going to be a gun. It's going to be something. It's going to be a stick, and it's always looking to see who's got the bigger one and the better one. I mean, that's just the way boys do. You know, there's just something inherent in that. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, as you're there and you're ready to fight and you're ready to, you've got your weapon in your hand, of course, the enemy's just going to stand still and let you whip on him. And, uh, you know, that's what's in your mind, that you got to, you know, you're going to tell everybody, what you're going to do I'm going to punch him this way I'm going to slam him that way I'm going to take him out this way and you know and meanwhile the enemy's just standing still letting you do that that's what's in your mind you in fact if your brother gets in the in the way and, and all of a sudden hits you back then it's not fair and it's you know because that's not the way it's supposed to work it's supposed to work in your favor and, uh, you know, we're invincible, and we always conquer, and we make the rules to our advantage, and we always position ourselves in odds in our favor, and we always want to have the superior weapon and the advantage. I mean, that's, hey, that's how you fight when you're boys. <laughs> yeah. There's the safety of the family. There's a lot of things that are there. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of times that as we've come into the church of the living God and God is so merciful and so good to us and we worship and we rejoice and we, God is just blessing and, and it, it's a great thing and there's, you know, there's preaching and, and we're excited and we're moving forward and God's going to do great things and, and all of those things are right and all of those things are there and they, that's part of where we grow. That's where we grow in safety. That's where we grow where we're protected. That's where we grow and it's part of the family of God but there comes a point in time when somewhere along the line you've got to hit it and realize there's a little more to it than this in fact if you're not careful you'll find yourself like Israel did at this point in time if we were to read the verses down below you'll find out that they went back into Baal worship right behind it Part of it was is they lost sight of what the victory was and what God had given them and where they'd been. And they began to look at other things that were more entertaining. Let me tell you, and I, I just say this in caution, but let me tell you, there can come a place where you can get so used to coming in and feeling the presence of God, and pretty soon it's, it's not just, it doesn't hold the same appeal, and you can start looking at other things that are more exciting and enticing to the flesh, and you can play a game like that and not realize that you're going on a direction and headed another direction there and losing sight of what God wants to do. Let me tell you, God wants to use you. God wants to take you and put you into, into the aspects and to see the work of God move forward and go forward in him somewhere you've got to learn to fight the battle David talked about it in Psalms 144 and verse 1 he said blessed be the Lord my strength which teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight he said God is teaching me it, he understood this thing was a warfare David was a unique individual I, I, I looked at him uh, there when you think about in, in today's world and I understand it's a very real thing I've dealt with a, a lot of veterans and I appreciate them but I understand what you know the seriousness of post-traumatic syndrome and I understand what they've gone through and, and these things to a degree I you know can empathize with them let's put it that way uh, but there's something about David that is unique in the fact that this is a guy that can line folks up and kill them one side and let the one side live and kill the other side and turn around and walk back in and be tender before God 
I don't know what kind of a character he was, but I'm telling you what, when he went to war, it was all out war. When he was in the presence of God, it was all out praising God. There was just one thing about it. it there, there was no in-between. And he was a man that understood the aspect of war and uh, realized what the seriousness of it was. And so there is a place where you've got to be ready. You've got to be trained. You've got to begin to realize the seriousness of it and to realize where God is going to take the church of the living God. And God is looking for men that are going to do something. It's looking for people that are going to get a hold of something and realize there's a movement ahead beyond you. There's something there that's part of the kingdom of the living God, and God's wanting to use you. Amen. Thank God. Thank God. Now, in Numbers chapter 25, in Numbers chapter 25, here we have a situation in which the scripture tells us, Numbers chapter 25 and verse 1, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Slay ye every man his man that was joined unto Baal Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses, in the sight of the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest saw it. He rose up from among the congregation, took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly, so that the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. Let me tell you, God recognized that. Verse 9, And those that died in the plague was twenty and four thousand. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my wrath from the children of Israel while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore say, behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel." I'm telling you what, Phineas had gotten, there, there was a place where something had to take place. It had come at a point there that there was no doubt about it that Moses and the others were weeping before the temple. And it was the first place. The priesthood surrounded the tabernacle there. And they were the first line of defense right there. And why those people ever got through that first line of defense to even get that close, I don't know. But nonetheless, there was a place where they were weeping and crying before the Almighty God. And when Phinehas saw what was taking place, something rose up in him. He understood that this just cannot be. There's a violation that's taking place right here that's got to be stopped. And he went immediately acted. Now, I'm not telling you that you need to do something without checking with your pastor. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, don't get any crazy ideas, but <laughs> there is a place where when there's things that are wrong, there's things that are wrong. There's a place where you may have to stand when friends don't stand. There may be a place, there's times and things where you've got to look at it and realize this is just not happening. It's not happening on my watch. We're not going there. 
And there's got to be a stand. God's looking for somebody that's got some fight to them. Somebody that's got something there that they can, God can use. And Phinehas, when you look at him as a young man, his grandfather is still the high priest. Aaron's still the high priest at this point. His father, Eleazar, will come into play shortly thereafter. And he'll be the high priest. So Phinehas... You know, he's not jumping right into major leadership in that sense, but he's picking up right where he can. God begins to use Phinehas, begins to use him mightily. In fact, you see him here as he stops that situation. But let's go over to Numbers chapter 31 and 3. And in Numbers chapter 31 and verse 3, we see that, again, Phinehas has an interesting role that he picks up. Verse 3, And Moses spake unto the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves unto the war, and let them go against the Midianites, and avenge the Lord of Midian. Of every tribe a thousand throughout all the tribes of Israel shall you send a war. So there was delivered out of the thousands of Israel a thousand of every tribe, the twelve thousand armed for war. And Moses sent them to war, a thousand of every tribe, them and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to war with the holy instruments and trumpets to blow in his hand. Let me tell you, this young man had earned a place. And he was called out by Moses to go and do something there and begin to sound those trumpets. I have no doubt in my mind. But what Phinehas was one of those priests that as they went around the walls of Jericho, he was blowing trumpets. There was something about this young man that was in a place of militancy, and yet at the same time, here he was, a descent, it was going to be and had the potential of becoming one of the high priests, yet it wasn't time. It was time that he was settling some things in his heart and mind, some things that he was learning about warfare, some things he was learning about what the what was going to bring victory to the children of God. He was learning some things about how it was going to be done. He was learning these things. He was realizing he was there were some things being quickened in his heart and mind about what he was going to stand for, what he was go, what was going to be counted fair and what was not. It was his dad, later on, Eleazar, who became the high priest, who began to define what things were going to be kept when they came back from war, what, the, what spoils were accepted. He said it's going to be those things that can go through the fire. There's things that can be washed and cleaned. There was things that were acceptable to bring back as spoils. There's people that you're bringing to the house of God, and they're going to bring a lot of things with them. There's some things are fine to keep, some things are not. Some things have got to go, some things are okay. There's a place where the the man of God begins to define some things. You begin to realize what is acceptable and what is not. And it's got to be that way. And so he was a fine young man. And they begin to tell him about that. And in fact, it's it's interesting in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 24. Uh, just take a look at there, a little side note here. But uh, when I look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, and this was Moses reiterating this. And uh, he began to give them some commands and some things that needed to be followed when they were going into the promised land. And he said in verse 24, Deuteronomy 7 and 24, And he shall deliver their kings into thine hand. This was God's promise. And thou shalt destroy their name from under heaven, and there shall no man be able to stand before thee until thou destroyest them. 
The graven images of their gods shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or the gold that is on them, nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein. For it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. But thou shalt utterly detest it. Thou shalt utterly abhor it. For it is a cursed thing. Now, this is interesting when you begin to look at what Moses is commanding the people right here. He said the graven images of their gods. It was not uncommon for them to shape a wood god and to mold it with gold or silver on it there. And God began to let them know you're going to burn them with fire. But he said, don't you take even that which is redeemable. The gold or the silver, not even what is redeemable. You would think that being that kind of a precious metal and that left over that way and it would it would have some value. But God said because it was upon their gods. He said, don't you even save that which would be redeemable nor take it to you. He said, you'll be snared therein. It's still got a spirit to it. It's still got something there that it wants to get a hold of you right there. You know where it came from. He said, and it's an abomination unto the Lord thy God. He said, don't bring it into your house lest you be a cursed thing like it. But thou shalt utterly detest it. Thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. There's a lot of things in this world that we have to be very careful with. Because there's things that, let me tell you, take you a wrong direction. You've got to understand what things are salvageable, what things are not. All right. And so when you look a little further here at Phinehas for just a moment, we pick up another incident in Joshua chapter 22 and verse 10. Because Phinehas is growing up, his dad's now become the high priest, and uh, it's still going, you know, it's not time for his leadership. He's developing. God is working with him. He's using him. He has trained him. He's gone through the conquest into the promised land. Now they've come back. And this is Joshua 22 and 10. And when they were coming to the borders of Je- Jordan, there in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see to. So part of the tribes of Israel, the ones that lived on the other side of the river, they decided to build a big monument. And the children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves to get together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Well, that's pretty serious. This is family. This is tribes that you've been fighting. You know, they've been your your camaraderie there together. You fought together. And now all of a sudden, you're ready to go to war. Yeah. Because there was a possibility of them erecting a monument to another god. And the children of Israel sent unto the children of Reuben and to the children of Gad and to the half-tribe of Manasseh unto the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest. Yep, this is the guy. This is the guy who knows 
what's going to be acceptable and what isn't. He's made numerous decisions. He understands what God is accepting and what God is not accepting. He's got a clear-cut picture. We're going to send him there. Let's see what he says. And with him ten princes of each of the chief house, a prince throughout all the tribes of Israel, and everyone was at the head of the house of their fathers among the thousands of Israel. And they came unto the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, unto the land of Gilead. And they spake unto them, saying, Drop down with me to verse 31. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said unto the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the children of Manasseh, This day... We perceive that the Lord is among us because you have not committed the trespass against the Lord. Now you've delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest and the princes returned from the children of Israel and from the children of Gad out of the land of Gilead under the land of Canaan to the children of Israel and brought them word again. And the thing pleased the children of Israel and the children of Israel blessed God and did not intend to go up against them into battle to destroy the land wherein the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. Let me tell you, Phinehas was prepared. The mindset of the men with him was also there. It, this, is, this had been built in and decided. This was not a time to be intolerant. It was not a time to just accept anything that went. It was not a time. This was something there that they were looking at. It was a serious breach that was potentially happening there. But this is a young man who's eventually going to be the next high priest. But at this point in time, he's a young man who's been trained as to what God is pleased with and what not. He's the one who's standing and defining these things. God is going to use him there. He has built this young man there to be and to understand what it was about war. Let me tell you, he was prepared and he was ready to go to war. I'm not going to read the next one, but when you look at it, Phinehas has one more situation, and that's when the tribe of Benjamin, and it was a situation there where he goes, by this time he's become the high priest. And when they were looking at fighting against Benjamin, and they'd already been in two days battle, Israel had lost against Benjamin two different times, and this was whenever there had been the misuse of the concubine, and it was an ugly story. And uh, when, when it got down to that point, Phinehas goes before God. And he said, shall I go against my brother Benjamin? And God said, go, and I'll give you the victory. This was a young man. Now he's much older. He's now the high priest. The decision is his. But this is a man who's prepared to make that decision, stand by it, and not waffle. It's a good man that's learned how to fight. There's a story that's an interesting story. Some of you, I remember as we homeschool, had a Christian school and, and uh, worked with our with the children there. And it was a literature story, and I enjoyed the story. But uh, it, it was it was called the story was called the most dangerous game. Some of you may have heard of it, but it's it's a story that was written back in 1924. And in this story, the man that was going on a safari hunt, and he's coming in a ship, and they get near what was called Ship Trap Island. 
and the ship crashed there, and he ends up on this island. And when he gets on this island, he finds a house. I'm just giving you the brief little details there. And uh, there's two Russian Cesars there, and, and uh, the guy invites him in and begins to feed him, and they begin to t talk, and the conversation goes around to hunting stories and everything. And, of course, the man who'd been shipwrecked, he was on his way to Africa for a safari, and, and so they were discussing and reminiscing and talking about all the – everybody, you know, we understand that kind of thing. And now all the hunting stories being shared and, and – uh, when when they got down to the end of the down to the end of the conversation for the evening, uh, the man of the house he tells the man who's shipwrecked. He said, "I've hunted everything on the island. There's not much of a challenge." He said, "So," he said, "I want something with more of a challenge. I'm giving you three hours head start." And then I'm coming after you. Yeah. You can, uh, you can begin to imagine what that would do to you. And uh, as he thrusts him out into the night, gives him three hours. He's not been on the island. He doesn't know where he's going. Fear would become a major part of it and as he ran in fear as best he could not having any idea where the trails and knowing that the man who's going to hunt him knows this island knows the trails knows the different hiding places and he's he's in panic and at this point fear is driving him Fear is, is what is just, you know, and, and there's no doubt about it. He stops and begins to think about it for a moment and realizes that, that in his fear and in his haste, he's obviously leaving a trail wherever he goes, is indiscriminately leaving a trail. There's, he's not going to be hard to track, especially for somebody who is a, an experienced hunter. It's not going to be hard to track him, and he realizes he's in serious trouble. And still, in his fear, he finally climbs a tree and uh, hoping that he's, uh, you know, eluded his, his, uh, the hunter. And uh, it's only a little while, just about dawn, that uh, the hunter is standing right below the tree where he's at. Smoking a cigarette. And he walks on. And this guy realizes... He hadn't escaped him. He's just playing cat and mouse. He's giving him another chance. And he realizes he's got to make a count. And he begins to set, and he begins to work at it. And he sets a trap. And he catches the other man in the house, and that man dies. And he knows he's still, it's limited time. Finally, in the final chase, he ends up jumping off of a cliff into the ocean. And the hunter watches him. And in one sense, he figures he's conquered him. But there's still a question in the back of his mind. When he went back to his house, he figured it was all over and that guy was gone. Just another one. He'd had numerous others 
that he'd hunted before. And when he opened up the door to his bedroom, there was that guy. And so that guy tells him, he said, all right, he said, we're going to fight. And whoever wins gets to sleep in the bed. The story doesn't tell us what happened other than the last phrase of the man who had been shipwrecked when he said, I slept well in the bed tonight. <laughs> it's quite a story when you read it. And the, the author did an excellent job. But let me just tell you something. <coughs> the reason I told you that story is... is there, there is a place where you and I have to understand we have a foe. We have a foe, a formable foe. Now, I'm not here to glorify the devil. And I'm not here to give him any credit that he, you know, anything I have to in that sense. But at the, under, at the same time, we have to understand we're going to war. We have to realize we're being, there was a need to teach them to war. We have to understand there is an enemy. I know that when my son got ready, the time came. He'd been in the guard for several years. And when the time came to deploy and to go to Iraq, all of a sudden, they begin to put him through some serious training. You know, they thought they were ready at that point. But when they begin to take him through the next six months to prepare him for deployment, all of a sudden, the reality became a whole lot more. Live ammo was being used. Things were, you know, the training took on a serious aspect. Uh, there. Why? Because they had to understand the enemy wasn't playing tiddlywinks. They, the enemy was playing for keeps. The enemy was playing serious. And you and I have to understand the enemy doesn't care how he and what he uses, but we have to understand who the enemy is and realize that he is there. And there's one thing about him. He's been around a while. He's been tempting people for a while. He knows the trails. He knows the haunts. He knows these things. And there, there's a place that oftentimes... When, as we're beginning to live for God, there comes trials. There comes tough spots. There comes places where we begin to almost like we're running in fear. We're in panic. We don't know what to do. And thank God for the church. And thank God for others that are praying. Thank God for somebody that begins to reach out to you and I. And we begin to realize that we need help. We need something from the Almighty God. But God is working to bring you to a place where you begin to realize this thing is not all in yourself. It is the fact that we have an almighty God who is able to fight for us. He is the light unto our feet. He is the lamp unto our path. He is the one who is able to see. He knows where the enemy's at. He knows where he's going. He knows what he's talking about. He's the one that we're looking to right there. And I'm telling you what, we're facing a generation, we're facing a time coming up that as we look at it right now, there's technology, there's things that are happening in our world. There's things that if we want to sit back and look at it, we can, you know, get all down in the mully grubs about how we're going to conquer this, how we're going to do this. Uh, you know, what are we going to use? Just the same old methods? Is that going to work in today's society? Let me tell you, the message does not change. The message does not change. But our methodology, I'm telling you, Almighty God knows what we need in this next generation is able to give you the wisdom to know how to deal with the generation that we're facing today. When they got ready to go into the promised land, 
Let me tell you, there was something that God began to put some direction. He said, Joshua, you're going to Jericho. You're going there to that city. And he said, you're going to, this is how you're going to do it. You're going to march around that, those walls seven times. That wasn't conventional warfare. That wasn't how you typically did it. But God said, that's what you're going to do. That's how God said you were going to conquer. That's how God was going to give the victory. Let me tell you, there's things we don't know what we're, how we're going to face and how we're going to deal with them. But I do believe there's an almighty God who said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth all men liberally and upbraid not the power of a living God you look at it there and when they begin to fight and then all of a sudden when Moses would raise his hands they were winning whenever Moses hands would go down they were losing and all of a sudden there came Aaron and her holding up his hands and they they were given the victory who ever seen that kind of battle that was God's battle that was how God wanted to do those things you know when Joshua was fighting and everything was going great and he just stands and, and says moon you stand still sun you stand still and he said we got to have time to fight let me tell you God did something that nobody else could do there was no conventional warfare that ever been like that but our God was able to give the warfare and to do what no one else can do I want you to understand there has to come a place where you and I go from being the hunted to being the hunter there's got to be a place where it's no longer just a matter that we're, we're standing back there weakly hoping the devil doesn't beat us and wipe us all out. No, wait a minute. It's the, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. It's when the church is in, is in the offensive, when the church is ready to go looking for him. It's ready there to see what he wants to do and how he wants to do that. Paul wrote about it and he said, he said if the princes of this world had known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Let me tell you, the devil didn't realize what was happening. He just thought he had gotten rid of Jesus Christ. He didn't realize he was going to meet him there and hand him the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And that he was going to secure salvation for every one of us, you and I. He didn't understand what was being established there. But the might and power of an almighty God to fight a war in a way that they had not fought before. You just look at it. It wasn't long and, you know, it, it, here all of a sudden, uh, the, the king of Syria, he said, who, which one of you men's not with me? He said, somebody keeps telling the king of Israel every move I make. Oh, no, that was just the man of God. God was giving him the answers. Elisha was telling the king of Israel, don't go down there. That's where the king of Syria is going to be. Inside information. Better intelligence than you could have got anyway. No, nothing that, you know, it, it was coming from Almighty God. You know, Elisha's servant looks around and says, Oh, my goodness, look, and we're surrounded. And Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes, let him see. And then he turned around and he began, to, God caused blindness to come on those folks, on that whole army. And Elisha just leads them right outside the city. Whoever fought a war like that? That's God's idea. It's God's plan. 
It's God's army. It's you and I realizing, wait a minute, we're going to be learning war, but it's going to be according to God's war. It's a, you and I have to realize that when the enemy comes against us, part of that is, is to prove us whether we're going to stand for his commandments, we're going to stand for his truth, we're going to stand for his righteousness, and God is the one who is mighty and well able to do that. When Ahab went to battle... Again, against Sennacherib there, and you begin to look at it with Ben-Hadad. And when they got into, the, into that one city, I'm telling you what, God just caused a wall. I like that song. That wall just fell over, and 27,000 died. I mean, all God had to do is just flick that thing just a little bit, and it just, 27,000. Who could have orchestrated that? That's God that orchestrated that. You think about it. Here comes the man of God. Israel's in trouble. They're facing the Philistines. You know, they're, 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 they're there to stand for God. They're facing the Philistines. And here comes the man of God. He said, dig ditches. Dig ditches? Yep. It's going to supply your need and take care of your enemy at the same time. You see, there's a lot of times when you and I, you know, we're looking at a crisis. They didn't have any water to drink. Here they were out in the middle of the desert, no place to go, didn't know how they were going to solve their problem right there. And yet God had in mind that they were, he was going to give them the victory over their enemies at the same time. Let me tell you when God, he can take whatever your situation and you're crying out to Almighty God and he, you need it there. But God has got a purpose in it that is going to take it further and going to be in the effect for the kingdom of God. And where he wants it to go He can answer your question They begin to dig the ditches And they were filled up with water And when the enemy looked and began to see that They said they thought it was blood And they ran I'll tell you what that's, a, that's an almighty God that fights in a way that you and I can't You couldn't uh, there, there wasn't enough time To go and try to brainwash them And get them to think that that was blood But when God sent them a delusion it was a done deal. David's just waiting for the mulberry trees. Oh, yeah? Yeah. When the wind begins to move in the mulberry trees, then it's time to go. God knew what he was doing. You look at it. God was looking whenever it came to David. David didn't know a lot about warfare. He'd fought a bear and a lion. <laughs> Didn't know a lot about warfare. Went and tried on Saul's armor. That didn't work. His sword, none of those things worked. He just said, well, this is the only thing I got. It's the only thing I know what to use. What God was looking for was a hunter and not a hunted. He was tired of those guys running and hiding in the holes and doing nothing. He needed somebody who was willing to hunt Goliath and take him out. He needed somebody who had something in him and says, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know if this is the only way, but all I know is that I serve a mighty God. And this uncircumcised Philistine is not going to defy the armies of the living God. Hallelujah. There is just something we have to understand that our God knows what needs to take place. He's the one. And it's by his warfare that we're going to have victory. I could go on with numerous things. And you think about Jehoshaphat and its praise and its worship and, and the armies ambush each other. You look at Gideon and it's, you know, it, here it is, pitchers and lamps and 300 men. And yet God gives them tremendous victory over the Midianites. It's time and time again that God has in mind. It's, it's learning war God's way. 
I want you to understand there's people here that have, you know, that's, that's why I asked about who was at the first and the second church. Some of you have fought and you have, you've stayed in the battle and you've prayed and you've fasted and you've worked at it and you've been faithful and you've been, and you've given and, and these things and others are coming on. But there's a place where there's some of you need to realize that it's time to begin to learn some war. It's time to realize that God wants to use you to move these things forward again, to see God take you into places you've never been. We're up against situations and circumstances that we have not faced before. We're dealing with technology that is moving rapidly. We're dealing with situations and people's mindsets and things today that we have not had to deal with before. But I'm confident that there's an almighty God who knows how to fight that battle. He knows how to go down every trail. He's well ahead of the enemy. It's Paul and Silas sitting in the jail. Just starting to praise. Whoever had a jailbreak like that? Sometimes we just don't begin to get the picture that when we're fighting this warfare, it's there not only to prove whether we love the Word of God, we're going to stand by the Word of God, we're going to stand by the man of God, through it all the way, no alteration, no deviation. But at the same time, understanding that it takes an almighty God. You see, it's, it's when David doesn't go to war when kings went to war that Bathsheba comes. Yeah. It's little things that begin to creep in. It's Jehoshaphat fellowshipping with Ahab over and over again that his son marries Jezebel's daughter and takes Israel. I'm not here on the negative side, but I'm just talking about there, there, there's things to, to understand. There's dangers. There's dangers from letting things go and not realizing that God is going to prove you. He's going to bring you all the way to the very end. You look at Abraham, and without a doubt, he went through things, and he's referred to as the father of the faithful, and certainly he is. But God tests him right down to the very end, even to where he brings Isaac there. And he says, sacrifice your only son, Isaac. And while he's ready to commit the act right there and sacrifice his son, God stops him and he says, now I know. Let me tell you, you're going to be proven. There's got to be a love for the truth. There's got to be an understanding that we're not fighting principality. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against principalities and powers. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We are serving the most high God who knows what you and I need and knows what this church is going to need. It's up to you and I to somewhere get into that place in prayer there and looking at the word of God. God begins to give us things that are powerful. I look at it, and, and I, it just amazes me. Uh, you know, I, I mean, just things that, and as I read and as I look into the Word of God, and things come up, and, and I go, wow, I hadn't seen that before. Well, God's got a timing and a place and, and all those things. Uh, somebody, uh, we were just talking about it. My, in fact, my son was preaching the other night, and he made a statement that he'd read, and I said, the statement, just simple little statement, but it said, comparison is the thief of joy. And I, I thought, wow, that's good. That is so true. Comparison is a thief of joy.
Just a simple phrase. I don't know where it came from, but God inspired somebody. God inspired somebody. There's things that God's going to give you. There's times when you're teaching home Bible study and you're going to have your head against the wall wondering how you're going to get through whatever they're fighting against, whatever they can't see. You're not sure how to do it. And you, you've tried from one angle and another angle and another direction and it doesn't seem like you're making any headway. Let me tell you, there's an almighty God who knows and he understands where the enemy's holding them at. He knows where he's at. And let me tell you, he knows what needs to happen. He can give you the right word to say. He can tell you exactly what needs to be done. He can bring it under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and know how to answer every man for the hope that lies within you. And so when you begin to understand that God, he told us there in Corinthians, Paul writes it this way. He said, for there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be manifest among you. He said, there's going to be opportunity for false doctrine, for junk to come in. You need to be careful who you're listening to. You need to have it down in your heart. You need to know what the Word says. It's one thing to rah, rah, rah behind the pastor. And I've told many a young man, I said, I said, when you get out on your own, you find out what you really believe. You're going to be tested. You're going to have opportunities. You're going to have places where you're going to have to look at it. When my wife and I first went to Baker City, we hadn't been there very long. And uh, uh, we were there, and there were people that we had met in the neighborhood and around the area, and uh, well-meaning families, nice people with kids about our, our kids' age. My boys were like five and six, seven, somewhere in that, that age bracket. And uh, had some well-meaning families that begin to say, well, why don't you let your boys, let's get them signed up, you know, for Little League. Let's get them signed up, you know, for baseball in the spring, you know. And I thought about that. And I thought, no, you know, I begin to kind of put some things through my mind and thought, well, you know, they go to church and, you know, you waffle things back and forth and you run it around in your mind and your heart. And I begin to pray about that thing. And it was just so clear that I understood if my boys made it, I'd also open the door to every boy that came into the church. And I don't want to be responsible for whether they make it or they don't. It was a defining moment. Wasn't going to happen. Wasn't going there. Because it was no longer just me it was no longer just my boys and what they might have liked to have done but now it was the church of the living God there's places where you're going to face these things Phineas had to face it should I go against Benjamin no there's a time and a place it's not that we worked. I, I, I so like what Brother Booker one time, I remember hearing him preach, and he said he preached a message, controversial but not adversarial. And that's exactly right. There's going to be times when you're going to have to make a stand that's controversial to your family members, 
but you don't have to be an adversary. You've got to keep a right spirit and a right attitude. We're working on the kingdom of God. We're not there to attack others, but we're there to take a stand. It's there to prove you and to learn how to stand and how to stand appropriately. Amen. It's there to realize that you're, you're doing it for another generation. You're doing it for this. You're doing it for where God is going to go. There was a time, as I bring it here to the close, but there was a time when the Spartans, they were, they were known for their war, war machine. They've just constantly, and in fact, they had some very cruel practices that whenever a son was born, they would examine him physically at birth and decide whether he had enough muscle tissue, bone structure, whatever the case, certain things. And if they did not feel that he would make a soldier, they killed him. That was everything was associated with the military. It was training by the time the kids were playing war already, but by the time they were 12 years old, they were starting to be trained, and it was some serious training. A lot of times some of those young men died at 15, 16 years old as they worked with, uh, with full-grown men, and it was expected to build the opposition to bring them to a place. They had had come to realize that the time was coming, and it was in the, in the very near future. There, as as there as Alexander, I believe, was the world conqueror. There was time that the wars were coming. They had heard about nation after nation being wiped out, and they began to understand that if they were going to defend their families, it was they were going to have to have a serious war machine. And so when the time actually came for the battle uh, there at Ptolemy, there at that place, it was a narrow area where they would line up across there, and there was a cliff down in front of them, and uh, the army, the, it was almost two million strong. And at that point right there, they were going there with about 300 men. They already knew it was virtually a suicide mission. But part of it that lent itself to the strength of these men because they knew they were fighting for their families was the strength of the wives behind. They understood they very well lose a son, a husband. They had no idea what the casualty rate would be. But they understood that for that man to take the stand, he needed the support. Didn't need them standing back there crying about what they were giving up. But they needed the support. Plutarch writes it this way. Another woman handed her son his shield and exhorted him, Son, either with this or on this. Now the significance of that statement was that either that young man held his shield and fought to the end, and if he was victorious, he'd come back carrying his shield. If he lost his life, the others would bring him back, carrying him like on a stretcher in his shield. And his mom said to him, Son, either with this or on this, there's no room for cowards. 
tough statement. But I'm telling you, it seems like I've been focused on the men in that respect. But let me tell you, ladies, you've got a serious place. There's prayer warriors needed. There's there's avenues. You're dealing with children. Some of you that are dealing with Sunday school, you're dealing with areas and with children and situations. You can't compete with the speed of, of what television can produce and all of the other media that's there. Yet you've got an almighty God who can move into a classroom and touch children. You've got a place there. You, you've got a place where you can stand behind your husband, behind the man of God, behind, be able to be faithful, be able to be supportive, be able to be, pray, be able to get a hold of an almighty God. Let me tell you, God has used women throughout the word of God there and given that victory through them as well. Let me tell you, it's your place. It's the church of the living God. We're, we're looking at this thing as the overall church of the living God. No wonder the apostle paul said i have fought a good fight i have kept the faith henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge shall give to me in that day and not to me only but unto all them that love his appearing it's understanding that the things you face are there to prove you and to teach you how to war that's where we are That's where we are. God is going to have a proven people. God is going to have a people who understand this is what thus saith the word of the Lord. God's given you a man of God to lead you. He's given you a man of God that has. I appreciate your pastor so very much. I appreciate the leadership and the vision. It's far beyond just what's happening here as well. And I thank God for that. But I tell you what, God knows where he's going to take you, how you're going to be developed, what you're going through. Let me tell you, it's not just a matter. You've got to lose sight of being the victim and beginning to be the victor. You've got to lose sight of being that you're the one being hunted and the devil's just chasing you around every bush to the place where it says resist the devil and he shall flee from you. There's a power over the, uh, that God has given us and given us victory there. It's through the power of Jesus' name. Let's stand here today. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> God has in mind for you to go forward. Don't look at things on just a stagnant basis. If it is, it's because you haven't. There's part of it is you've just been coasting along, enjoying the blessings. And there's somewhere you've got to learn more. Somewhere you're going to have to endure hardness as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yep. There's going to be some belly crawling. There's going to be some dirt in your mouth. It's just going to be the way it is. Somewhere the enemy's not just going to stand still and let you whip on him. You got to understand this thing's getting down to where it's really how you're going to live it's going to prove you it's going to take the church forward there's people that have prayed and fasted and seen the breakthroughs that have taken place and some today have enjoyed the goodness of God up to this point and thank God you have and, and that's his will he wants you to have the joy the mercy the goodness of God all the way through but there's somewhere where it's not just about taking, it's not just about receiving, it's not just about those things. 
It's about realizing, wait a minute, there's souls that are at stake. There's people that are dying and going to hell. And am I just willing to sit back and enjoy daddy's house? Or am I going to get serious about it? Somewhere I can, it's, it's got to come to that place. There's fasting. There's prayer. There's looking to God for the wisdom to overcome obstacles. Looking to God for the, what we need to be able to deal with what's happening in our world and carry this message forward. I believe that there are things. When you look at Uzziah, the Bible said he was mightily helped. He invented engines of war. In fact, it's considered that it could have very well been during his time that the catapult was invented. But God gave him wisdom to invent engines of war. Things have changed. There was a day with David and them, it was sword and spear. The advent of gunpowder and mechanized rifles. Then it was the machine gun and the tanks, the aircraft, the Navy. Now it's laser wars. Now it's technology. Now it's robotics. Let me tell you, the weaponry has changed. The outcome has not. There's a place where, church, we've got to realize we need the wisdom of Almighty God. We're still there for souls. We're still there to see the kingdom of God grow. We're still there to see the kingdom of God go forward. What God wants us to use, how he wants to develop it there, does not leave the message or the truth in any sense of the word. But we've got to realize that God knows what he's going to bring by revelation. What he's going to bring and open up. And the pastor's going to be able to give the direction. And there's things that are going to happen in this next little bit. And who knows what God is going to do. But he's got it in mind. He's got it in mind. It's his victory. It's his church. It's what he has in mind. It's you and I being ready to submit ourselves and say, Lord, teach my fingers to war. And my hands to fight. God, I don't know how to do it. But God, I'm willing to submit to you. Let's come and find a place. Let's talk to God. Begin to submit ourselves unto him. Lord, begin to open to us our heart and mind. Lord, what you want us to do. How you want it to be. My God, today, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Who's, what Bible study? What, who are you working with? What is the means and method you're touching somebody? How are you making contact? What are you doing that's going to open the doors? Thank God. What's got to be done? What kind of spirits are we coming against? What is it going to take in the kingdom of the living God? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. God, that you would use me. God, that you would use me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. My God, today. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, you give these young men. God, give them, Lord God, a place to stand. God, a way to stand. Lord God, put it down in their heart, God. You're proving us, Lord God. You're there to see whether it's down in their heart, whether it's what we are going to live for. My God, in the name of Jesus. Jesus.